It's Thursday night and 8 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone. You're tuned in to the Profits Plus e-retailer conversations conference call. Oh my gosh, 8 o'clock. I thought it would never get here. I've been up at since 5 o'clock this morning. I have been so psyched, so anxious to have our conference call tonight. So, Tom Shea welcomes everybody. Thanks for coming and being with me. I am uh, um, enjoying today because I, I knew I was going to have two great people come and be with us tonight, and I'm hopeful that all of you who have tuned in and those of you from around the world who tell me that you have to uh, go back and catch the file recordings at another time, glad you could be with us. Let's take care of business first. Reminder that tonight's e-retailer conversation call is being recorded. It will be on the Profits Plus website in two formats. First is an MP3 recording for those who are using iPod or similar devices, and also on the website as a click and listen link so that you can take and listen to it straight from your computer while you're doing whatever else may be occupying your time. Hopefully it is up there sometime tonight as uh, our computer genius, uh, our information stud, Bruce Giroux, will be picking up the recording, doing his little bits of doctoring to it and putting it together, and it'll be up there for you. So thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, let me tell you that if you are at work doing other things, listen to this in the background. Let me ask you, if you would, please, hit star six. at star six to mute yourself. And if you are in the office and uh, have need of the phone uh, on hold, think first whether or not your system has uh, music on hold so that we don't all get to listen to whatever it is that you are, your customers are listening to at your business. So that being said, let's move on and uh, bring in some friends to visit with us tonight. First one, my friend, my buddy, person I go back with a, a number of years I've enjoyed visiting with and uh, the person I give the credit to for having thought of the idea of, gee, why don't we do something other with this call other than Tom uh, sharing as I did for several years. The guy said, let's make it a little more fun. And that person who is out there somewhere tonight, Mr. Bill Kendi. Bill, you with us? Mr. Shea, I be here. But I have a question for you, Tom. What is it sleeping in till 5 o'clock? What's, what's going on? It's not your normal mantra, is it? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm a 5 a.m. person. <laughs> it's just this morning I was up before the alarm went up, went off. I was like, okay, this is it. I knew today was coming, had uh, uh, things I wanted to get done. But it's, um, uh, you know, you and I have had a couple of conversations about this one. We had one uh, early this morning, one again this afternoon, talking about all the things I wanted to make sure that we had in, engaged yeah. for tonight's because we are going to have a good time. How are things in Michigan? It was a gorgeous day in the Great Lakes State. Uh, we Actually, for Michigan, we got up to about 65 and sunny, which is not bad for December 13th, buddy. Yeah, we got to uh, to 70, and uh, you know we only had one sweater on today. It felt a little cool, breeze. That's cold weather for you guys. I mean, up here, that'd be like great no, that that was our high. We've been having in the 80s. We're down to 70, but uh, that's where we are for tonight. So let's uh, let's do business because you know we we've got more to talk about tonight than yeah, what so we. Don't have. you have something special to share with us tonight? Um, 
Oh, I, I've got several things. Uh, well, for one, you know, I, I always take and introduce people by way of um, a song. And uh, this one, uh, this one took a little research, took a little hunting to find this one. Uh, and I, I did not ask anybody after I, I got my little inside information on it. But I, I, I hope that I've got this one uh, pegged right as being very appropriate to, uh, to introduce our guest tonight. So that being said, shall we start? You betcha. Okay. Our guest tonight. Dr. Joseph Michelli. Joseph is a friend first. He's a, a great teacher. He is a tremendous writer. He has written a number of books. He wrote the uh, book, which is entitled The uh, Zappos Experience. He uh, wrote the book, which is Starbucks Experience. Joseph has written The New Gold Standard. Five Leadership Principles for Creating a Legendary Customer Service Experience, courtesy of the Ritz Carlton. Win Fish Fly, Lessons for Creating a Vital and Energized Workplace, which is the story of the Pike Place Fish Market book that he uh, had co-authored. So I could go on and on. I could tell you a whole lot. Um, perhaps the most important thing I, that uh, I think that he could tell about himself uh, he is the uh, father to really uh, neat kids, and he is a wife. He has a wife who is one of the most phenomenal people out there that anybody could uh, could possibly want to to meet. So let me in, invite my friend in tonight, Dr. Joseph Michelli. Joseph. Well, I was so relieved you didn't play Send in the Clowns. I mean, I am, like, beyond myself with relief. Uh, thank you for that very kind introduction. Yes, I married well, and I'm hoping that uh, my kids' greatness is inherited by me. So, yeah, thank you for having me. And um, you want to explain the song? Yeah, no, I love Van Morrison. I'm a huge Van Morrison freak, so uh, that's, that's a totally appropriate song. It, it has nothing to do with you loving me or anything like that, uh, in any, in even a filial sense. So. No, uh, I um, <laughs> what, what I did was in, in find out I I had in mind first a plain brown-eyed girl for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the song is wrong because she's hazel-eyed. That's exactly right. My my wife would not understand why you play brown-eyed girl. So. Oh no, no, we discussed it, and right. so I. I went looking for songs, and I said, "Okay, I uh, if I were going to pick a song, this is uh, yeah, I I see this as uh, you and Nora." That's very sweet. That's kind of you. I'm glad to be here tonight. I um, I've been looking forward to this too, and I just wanted to say, you know, for uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, for Bill's sake, that I am also a 5 a.m. person Pacific time. Okay, so this is why we see you about a little at eight o'clock or so, starting to move about. <laughs> Starbucks, Starbucks, yeah. All right, so let's do it. Okay. All right, Bill, you still with us? I've been here, boss. What new do you have to share with us, Tom? You always have a little couple of tricks and people you like to talk about. I, I do. Uh, tonight, I, tonight I bring three. Um, the first one is, um, uh, let's see, uh, what do we say? What do the kids call it? A shout-out? Uh, the first one is shout-out. 
to um, a friend and um, another neighbor, a guy by the name of Michael. Michael, who has uh, listened to this program for a um, for a long time, and um, see him, and we we visit about it. And uh, Michael is going through a really really tough um, medical challenge right now. And uh, Michael has uh, shown a lot of braveness about it that he has. Uh, volunteered himself to uh, be a, a medical experiment and uh, I just want in knowing that he is up uh, there he is listening to us want to say uh, Michael thinking about you prayers are with you my friend and uh, proud to have you as a friend I'm, uh, wishing the best hope that we go next month um, second one to uh, to another friend gentleman by the name of Rennie Doyle Rennie Doyle lives in this place um, called um, Big Bear Lake, California. And uh, Rennie just had a book that came out. And Rennie's book was, um, uh, and in his announcement he just sent out, made the Amazon Top 100 seller books, which was kind of, wow, that's kind of cool. And so to, uh, to Rennie, I say congratulations, glad for you. And my uh, third one, let's see, third is a shout-out to a tonight. The conference is in lecture mode. And her name is um, Jenny, and Jenny is, um, runs a business out in Poway, California. Okay, which I'm not sure. I, I, have, I have no idea where Big Bear Lake, California is. I have no idea where Poway, California is. Uh, I don't know. Joseph, do you, you know where either of those places are? Joseph, do we lose you? No, I'm still here. I'm the still conference here. Still is here. no longer in lecture mode. I think you so, were. Yeah, I, was, I was locked out by lecture mode, I think. Um, no, Big Bear is a beautiful uh, mountain area. Um, so right at the lake. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where it is, but I used to live in California for a while. Well, I knew that, and, and, and I guess that makes you as an expert in California. Exactly, and I didn't even take a shot at Poway. I'm I'm striking out for sure. Okay, Poway is San Diego. No, the reason I was going to ask you about uh, knowing all things California is, I, I wonder, can you explain this to me? For the life of me, I cannot understand this. Yeah. <laughs> That's brutal. That's brutal. I can't understand them this year either. I should play the USC theme song, uh, the fight song. Yeah, we didn't fight on this year. That's our problem. Well, you're, a, you're an alum, are you? I am. I'm an alum. It was a painful year when we get beat by Notre Dame and UCLA. It's just, it's life's not worth living, really. Well, Joseph, what do you think? What do you think about Mr. Kippen? Well, I uh, I think I'd like him better if he were back in Tennessee, frankly, but that's uh, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I explained to for you. I told uh, Lane that I was going to talk to you tonight, Joseph, and, and and Lane's comment went something to this effect. And so there are no easy anymore. Yes. Um. So you're now out of. I mean, that's it. That's all he's got to say is there are no more easy games anymore. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are really hard ones when he's coaching. That's all I could say. So. All right, all right. So that means for, for the people with us tonight, all the stuff that Joseph has done, all the consulting work that he does, all the books that he read, I selected three of his books that I thought would cover the 
the majority of people who participate in our uh, in our conference calls. Um, because I thought of Starbucks book relates to a, a chain store situation. The book from about Zappos relates to. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about an audience and what we think when we hear the word Starbucks and Zappos. We think of oh, a, an internet retailer, uh, and then the book from the fish market, as that's somebody who is. I, I think they'll look at and say a little closer to them because that's an an individual business um, chain effect to it. But what I found in reading the books, Joseph, was that I saw a very common thread that uh, went through all three of them. Yeah, I think I write the same book with just different focus points, actually. No, you know, I always look for a couple of things. And maybe I didn't when I first wrote the little the book about the fish market, because it is such a uh, small business. It's a 1,200 uh, square feet of retail space. And so that may be a little exception to the rule, but I generally, and particularly this is kind of brought on by the, press, the pressure of New York City publishers, but they're looking for typically a brand that has world-class recognition so that you, know, you can get it into multiple languages and they can distribute it through their distribution arms internationally. They're looking, and I'm looking for a brand that treats people exceedingly well. So I, you know, I really want brands like Starbucks or Zappos that are typically among the best employers uh, in the U.S., thanks to Fortune Bliss. And then I'm always looking for these extraordinary brands around customer service and customer experience creation. So, um, so when you kind of limit yourself to those key drivers of outcome, you end up with some fairly similar companies. So let's look at the, at the fish book. Uh, the story as I, I read it was, a man bought a business. It wasn't anything special, anything to think about or make a point to go look at. If, if you were there in Seattle and you were visiting that part of town, you would walk by it like any other business. And maybe you turned your head towards it, maybe you didn't. But now it's something different. Did the change in the business start with the owner? Oh, it did. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, Johnny Yokoyama, who owns the Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle, where they throw fish, and it's been kind of a central focal point for a lot of folks when they go to Seattle up in the Pike Place Market area, Johnny really didn't want to buy a fish market. I mean, in the end of the day, he wanted to take over his father's business, which was a produce stand just a few feet away from where the Pike Place Fish Market is today. The problem was their last name was Yokoyama at a time in history when the United States government rounded up people who had Japanese-American descent, and they relocated them to, you know, relocation camps like Minidoka and Tule Lake. And Johnny lived his early life with his father's business kind of being ripped out from the family. He lived, you know, in this kind of uh, barbed wire hut, you know, barbed wire fence, tar paper hut kind of environment. Came back in Seattle, lived in the projects that the family's housing had also been taken. And so he just had to find a job. And so he started working at this fish market, and he could look out to where his dad's business had been. So he was a very, very bitter guy working for the fish market. And it turned out that the guy who owned it at the time had inherited the business from his father and hated running a fish market. So one day he turned to Johnny and said, will you buy my fish market for $10,000? And Johnny said, no. And the guy yeah. said, well, how about, how about $5,000? And you know, I think whenever somebody lowers the price by 50% without making a counteroffer, you're in a pretty good negotiation. And Johnny waited out a little bit longer. He got it for $3,500. But he never wanted the business. He just was trying to make money. 
and he had a very focused business strategy around pr providing the best product. So it's a product strategy, and he never was able to make money through that product strategy until he really looked at himself. He looked at the tyrannical leader, the negative attitude that he had as a small business owner, and how it was impacting his people. And I think at that point, uh, Johnny said that fish smell from the head, and he was the most smelly fish in the fish market. So he started to change, and that really was the, the pathway to success for the fish market. So in other words, Joseph, you're, 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 what you're saying, sharing, is that nothing can happen. Nothing can happen in There's absolute, complete corporate buy-in and, and ownership of a change in uh, the way the customer service is offered. Right. Yeah, you know, I think that there's there's a great book called Human Sigma, and it does say something I think is interesting. That is, you could have a fairly engaged uh, customer base uh, and a employee base that's not engaged. It's possible. In that case, you have these people who, despite how poorly they're treated, they act professionally when it comes time to meet with customers, and so customers feel connected to the brand, even though the employees hate their job. That's right. possible. But it's not likely. If you look at the empirical literature on it, there's high correlation between employee engagement and customer engagement. And employee engagement is highly linked to trust in owner, which is also highly linked to how positive and how caring an owner is relative to their people. So I think the answer to your question is exactly what you just said. I mean, in the end of the day, if the, if the owner's not on board, it's pretty hard to ever have loyal customers. Do you remember years ago when TQM was all the rage? And, and it was all the I, rage. I was I was really involved in TQM, and we found that if the, if the management wasn't long term, you know, uh, committed to following the program through, no matter how much they spent, it wasn't going to work. Right? It really is key. It is key. I mean, and, and the problem is employees know if a management is in or not, and so they'll wait it out. Uh, and they'll just wait on the sidelines until they see right. if this too shall pass. Right. Right. But now there was a part, though, from what you said, Joseph, that I would look at it and say that he had it correct, and that is you said he simply wanted a business and to make money, which too many businesses, owners that I interview – uh, fall in love with what it is they sell first and believe that that's going to carry them forward. You're saying that Johnny looked at it and was correct with a, I want a business, I want to make money, had his head right there, but realized that as the head, the leadership of the business, that was where the problem was as to why he couldn't make money. Yeah, he didn't like people. He didn't like me. <laughs> that was the bottom line. He didn't, he didn't trust people very much, and so they didn't trust him. It's kind of a reciprocal relationship. You know, in order to be trusted, you have to extend trust. And that's a big part of a lot of the brands I work with. But to go to your point, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I like it if people get into business because they are passionate about product. I mean, that's a good thing. That's a very strong starting point. I just wrote, I'm writing a new book, as you know, Tom, about, about Starbucks. It will be my second called The Starbucks Connection. And, and in it, I wrote about this guy who said, I really hate what I sell. I mean, I absolutely hate wedding linen, and that's what I sell. But I'm able to make money on it, and my wife was able to quit her job, so this side business of ours is working for me. Um, so I thought that's pretty interesting because there are people out there who literally hate what they sell, and, and there are those people out there who are teaching folks that, you know, if I give you the right skills, you can sell anything. You don't have to like it, much know about it, much care about it. And I think it's pretty bunk. I mean, I think product passion 
is pretty dang important to the equation. And most great brands really work hard at helping their people develop not only product knowledge but product passion. A lot of the great brands hire for people who are passionate about product. If you look at an REI and you compare that to a lot of the regular types of you know, mass retail sporting goods companies, if that's Dick's or Garth's or whatever your company is, wherever you might be, you know, there's a huge deal difference between the people who work at an REI um, or at an Apple store versus a traditional electronics retailer. So I'm into that. But I think if all you have is product passion and you don't have the, the overlay of humanity and you don't treat your people like they are something other than your product, then you got then then the breakdown happens and that certainly was where it was. Johnny loved fish. He just did not like people and he certainly needed to to look at his anger uh, because he you could I mean this is the beauty of Johnny. In the early days, you could go to work there as a burly fishmonger who's better suited to be on the deadliest catch program than almost anything else. And, and you could go to work there in the morning and this guy could yell at you and you would quit by lunch. And Johnny was into that. He was he was like. He had turnover not on an annualized basis. He had it on an hourly basis, you know, and he was all good with it. Um, and I think at some point he had to realize that the reason his business wasn't thriving was because his people were turning over with such rapidity and they could care less about his success. So in other words, he started out as the, the beating will stop when the morale improves sort of guy. Yeah, and, yeah. And progress to a... People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, sort of fellow, right? Totally, totally. And you know, I, I love kind of that that notion. He was command and control. He wanted, and I think you know, a lot of leaders have to look at their own life path because Johnny, having had no control in his childhood, when he finally got to be the boss, he abused his control. And I think there is some leadership does take some personal work. It does take a willingness to look at what are your issues. You know, what's your relationship with power? Power. How are you about influence versus control? Um, so anyway, Johnny got into that. He focused on it. He did a lot of it personal work, and he really started to understand that business is about making profit through people, and he needed to help people profit in order for him to profit. Right, and, uh, and also, you know, and I've not read your book, Joseph, but I've heard wonderful things about it. Um, but in that case, he's, he's taken, you know, I mean, there's fish markets all over the place. But he, he, he embraced the concept that shopping is an experience on the part of a customer. And it goes beyond the price and product and selectivity and inventory and blah, blah. It's a whole total experience of seeing guys have fun throwing fish around. You know, it's just not buying a fish. It's a whole ambiance of the whole thing, correct? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I really make some distinctions between a product strategy, which is let's have the best fish at the lowest price consistently, right. you know, let's, let's have that consistently available. Then I have a service strategy mindset that I take on, which is let's have the best fish at the best possible price, and let's make sure we consistently deliver it. Let's make it right and get it right for the customer in our delivery system. So that's the service business. Johnny is really what I would call an experiential business. And for me, that has all those aspects of having good product at a great price, consistently delivered. And then it has an overlay of trying to drive a certain kind of emotional connection to customers and to think about customers in a life cycle model instead of a transactional model and to be able to think about the stated and unstated needs of those customers. And so once you get into that mind space, now you're in an experiential world where you're not just delivering good service, 
but you're connecting to them operationally and emotionally on a life cycle type model. Can you point to something specifically, Joseph, that got this thought process started in, within him that caused him to begin to make this change? Yeah, desperation. He was about to lose his business. You know, he turned to the place that no man would ever want to go for money. He went to his mother-in-law for a $50,000 loan to cover a shortfall that happened because he was desperate. I mean, the guy was trying to find out how he's going to make money. He's number five out of five fish markets in his neighborhood, right? He, he, he's struggling badly. So he says, you know, the way I'm going to get the advantage and think again from a product standpoint is if I can manage the price points by getting involved in the distribution. So what Johnny did is he said, I'm going to be able to beat these other guys if I go and start buying fish from the fishing boats, if I give myself first cut in the distribution, and if I sell the rest of the fish, the lesser fish, to my competitors, that's how I'm going to win. So he goes and does this. In the first month of operation, he knows nothing. He barely knows anything about retail, he'd tell you that. Then he does what I think is the most stupid thing you could do is go into a business you know even less about. So he starts getting into wholesale. First month of wholesale, he loses $50,000 without a line of credit to cover it. And that's when he turns to his mother-in-law. He starts seeking consultation. You know, he kind of admits that he doesn't know it all. He gives himself, you know, he gets a little vulnerable. And I think in the cracks in his vulnerabilities, when he did some really good work to say, I've got to change who I am, how I'm approaching business, and I've got to think differently. And at that point, you know, he treated his people well. They treated their customers better. They listened a lot. And through that listening, they were able to create some experiences that I think are pretty unusual and that most fish markets don't replicate. And, be, and even if they did, they wouldn't do it in the spirit that Johnny has been able to create around it. So in the end of the day, it's a 1,200-square-foot fish stand that is world famous uh, because they engage customers at a different level because Johnny changed. So this is kind of like, I believe it's uh, the quote credited to Churchill, we ran out of money, now we've got to try thinking. <laughs> if only more governments thought that way, that would be great. That would be awesome. So, well, let me tell everybody who we are, where we're at. Uh, our guest tonight on the Ewe Taylor Conversation Conference call is Dr. Joseph Michelli, author of on Starbucks, the Starbucks Experience, the Zappos Experience. Uh, you can find him online, josephmichelli.com. M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I. Uh, Michelli Experience, do I have that right, Joseph? Yep, that's me. That, that that is he, and he is a uh, fascinating person to uh, to get to visit with and talk to about aspects of business. And our our points we're talking about tonight is a commonality thread through some of his books. And as Joseph has written about businesses that have gone past selling a product or a service that have done something very differently, that warrant his taking the time and effort to go write about them and explain to other people what makes them so unique so different. So, um, let's look at the Starbucks book. All right, I, everyone, if you've got, ever wandered into a Starbucks, you've seen the book oh, sitting there. Amazing. That makes them different. Uh, uh, as I read, was there their little Starbucks 
uh, gift card and their prepaid card, that they have more money on prepaid cards than anybody else that's out there. Uh, and then, I'll, Joseph, I should ask you, did you? I see they had a new card that just came out uh, this week, the, the little metal card. Did you get one of those? Uh, I didn't, you know, Howard didn't send me one. I, I'm sure it just got lost in the mail is what happened. Um, no, actually, and I didn't go out and buy one because it really didn't make a lot of sense to me to buy one, and the, in the, the perks associated with it were not of interest to me. I already had achieved those, and so it was just whether or not I wanted the status of having a metal limited edition card, which I did not. Okay, but did you go online today to see what those little metal cards are selling for? No, I can only imagine because of the exclusivity. You know, the same thing happened when I was working at the Ritz-Carlton. They uh, came out with something called a Cobalt card uh, and, on the books, and it was it was very exclusive. It's not like this where you could buy it and there was just a limited number. That one is one of those ones where they only would give it to, the, the they said, the thousand most influential people. And the irony was you'd have people like Ralph Lauren calling you know, the, the CEO at, at uh, Ritz-Carlton saying, wait, I didn't get mine. I'm sure I'm among the 1,000 <laughs> most influential people. So, uh, yeah, I think exclusivity is a very important thing uh, to try to create in terms of craveability, and that card is all about that. So you have your Starbucks gold card, but... I do, as as I, and so do you. I've actually seen you wave yours around, uh, so I know you are somebody, Tom Shea. No, I, well, actually, I had a Starbucks black card at one point in time, but that was it. So we've uh, we've come to the bottom of the hour. Uh, our tradition, Joseph, is when we come to the bottom of the hour, we t- we take about a 30-second commercial break. And, uh, well, just as with the introduction, we try to find a commercial that we think relates to our guest for tonight. Um, so, everybody, as we uh, take a 30-second timeout, please join with us as we listen to this word from our sponsors. When you need it all, 24-hour news, 24-hour news, car crash, blocking traffic, you need 740 KVOR, breaking news, Bad live on, Live on continuing coverage, simulating talk. Have you ever had somebody who didn't get Voters rush. are frightened of where the country is headed. You want more government or less government? Back. We're going to be held responsible for what we allowed to happen to this country. You need KVOR. When you need it all, 740 KVOR and KVOR.com. Depend on it. All right, welcome when you back. Need it all. Glad to have everybody with us. Uh, Joseph, you want to uh, explain that little commercial break? You're just scaring me tonight. I mean, what else is going <laughs> to jump out at me as I'm walking down the road here? I worked for 10 years at that radio station, KVOR. I did two hours a day, afternoon drive. News Radio, 740 KVOR, the Joseph Michelli Show. Yeah, that was the day. Uh, see, when I first heard that you had done that, I was somehow thinking that like you were the original incarnation of uh, Frasier. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't do mental health talk, so that's kind of interesting. I did. I was on a radio program on the business radio network called Wishing You Well, and I did a lot of kind of office shrink stuff. I mean, how did you manage workplace rumors and that kind of thing. But, uh, no, I, I was not a, a mental health guy on the radio. All right. Well, let's see. If we're going to scare you, let's let's get this one scary question in. Uh, this one comes from Ray, and and Ray says, "Which one is the best?" Moby Dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just love those kind of questions. Go ahead. What are the options? Moby Dick by Led Zeppelin, Wipeout by The Ventures, and a Goddess Butterfly. 
Well, I gotta say, as a drummer, former drummer, wipeout, I I played my share of. I probably should say something else because it got kind of tiring. It's tiresome, but I kind of still like doing doing the paradiddles on it. So yeah, I'll say wipeout. Wipeout. Plus, in a Gata de Vida, I don't know that I have an attention span long enough to listen to the whole song. Yeah, really. Okay, well, it's, uh, and our, our mutual friend Ray, who is a drummer, does does he know that you are a drummer? I, I have no idea. I doubt that he does. I mean, it's not like I'm famous for being a drummer. Um, so there you go. All right, so let's continue. Let's let's look at an aspect Starbucks. Um, so yes, you have seen me at Starbucks. We run into each other there every once in a while. And, and I got to tell you that when I read the Starbucks experience, one, um, I like your writing style. Uh, I can read it. I can comprehend what you're saying. Your message comes across very clear to me. Um, you're a writer that I can recommend to people without the qualification of saying, hold a bottle of water nearby. You may have to pour it on it on occasion because it gets dry. That's that's not a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that image. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I read your stuff. As read the story, and I heard those really phenomenal stories about people had done at Starbucks. The Starbucks that I see you at, I became disappointed in the place. Well, I agree. I mean, the challenge for a brand of that size is to consistently deliver what their objective is, right? So the objective is to deliver uplifting moments. Um, and I must say that um, at, my, at the Starbucks we share, I, they're struggling in that particular one. And I think it comes down to how good is your store manager. Because, and and I, I think the one we're going to is without a store manager right now, by the way. Um, but, but the point isn't to defend that store so much. It is the challenge of making sure that you have the turnkey operation that is going to execute against that. I shall tell you, though, in this new Starbucks Connection book that's coming out, I just I ended the book with a story of a barista who would write on the cup for this guy who kept bringing the drink to his wife. Now, the guy never saw the wife, right? So he, this husband would go in every day, order the drink for the wife, and this guy would write no, notes to her, like, are you real? And then he would give her choices, like Inagata de Vida versus Wipeout versus whatever. And, and she would then check the box on the cup, and he would bring it back in the next day. And they continued a relationship like this for three months before he ultimately uh, moved on to work at the Trump Tower in Chicago. And she finally came in on his last day of work to meet him. And, and I think there are those moments that get executed like that that are so amazing that you just want to tell people about it. And I think that's what every brand should be about. So normally I'll do, I'd do an exercise around this where I would have people stand up if they are loyal to their car, right? And then if they're still standing, I would say, keep standing if you're loyal to the dealership that sold you the car. And then I would say, keep standing if you're loyal to the person who sold you the car. And then I do a final cut, which is to make sure that that they're not related to the person who sold them to their car because that's a whole different kind of loyalty. Assuming that there are a couple of people in any large room still standing, I say, what did that salesperson do in an industry known for swarmy people? What did they do that made you want to actually see them again? And, and then what I do is I turn it on the audience and I say, how many of your customers would still be standing in the exact same example? 
and I think the challenge for Starbucks, the challenge for any chain brand, if we have some of the people like that on the call, is how consistently are your people doing it? What percentage of the room would still be standing because they've had those kind of moments, those memorable moments that are easily relatable? When, when, you, when you say dress up, when you say memorable moments, uh, you're talking about a quote wow moment, right? I am. I am overlaid on top of generally great operations. Yeah, an occasional wow moment on top of a consistent operational platform. So. If we look at Starbucks in this situation, Joseph, uh, can I can I make a comparison to John at the fish market as two businesses as the way it comes from the top and how far down it goes? Is can I make a fair comparison? Oh, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Okay. And if, if you so want me to elaborate, first off, Howard Howard Schultz is is the real deal. I mean, I would follow him anywhere. I would bet on him anytime. The guy is authentic. I love being in his presence. I am enamored by him. Uh, and he is bright. He has got a heart. And I, he really does try to, to run a large business with humanity and high performance. Now, I think it goes out to a lot of levels. I think the district managers typically feel that. And I think most store managers do a pretty good job with it. But I can tell you there are some store managers that are just not that it gets stuck at. And you see it in their performance numbers and you know there's a lot of effort to try to to affect them. In fact, Howard had all the store managers just together in Houston earlier in the year. It's just a big expense, a massive expense. And he tried to infuse them with the spirit, the energy, and the passion that he has for the brand. And all the senior leaders were there. They did community involvement projects. He gave them all the new Verismo machine. Um, there's really an effort to try to impact the store managers because they have a huge, huge dynasty colony that they oversee. Yeah, Joseph, I, I have one thing just for those folks. You know, you, you use the term baristas, and that's basically a term for coffee servers, correct? Yeah, it's Italian for bartender. Uh, it's stolen from that, yeah. Okay. And then the second thing is, I used to, uh, I'm a firm believer in you uh, uh, expect and then you inspect. And when you're talking about instilling, you know, some criteria for the people, the baristas who work at a Starbucks, I'm assuming that the company has put together a uh, scenario or a, a kind of like a guidebook or a roadmap or whatever that, you know, you can't. You know, you can't. You know, people, people, people. They have to know what they're supposed to do before they make. You know, if they make a mistake and they don't know what they're doing, they're not doing anything wrong. What's the measuring criteria that Starbucks use for their employees to ensure? Well, first and foremost, I mean, you're right about the training. They do about 70% of it is peer-to-peer -peer and on the job. 20% of it is online curriculum. 10% yeah. is certification and oversight by managers. In order to be a fully certified barista, you do have to go through a pretty detailed amount of training, a lot on the drinks. You have to be certified by your, you know, by your, uh, your store manager on your ability to deliver those drinks. But in terms of the ongoing training, a lot of it is around these uplifting moments. A lot of it is understanding the value proposition in terms of the emotional, what you want customers to feel which is what we talked about a little bit earlier with Johnny. And, you know, in Johnny's business, he wanted customers to feel as though they were important. So anytime somebody came up to the fish stand, he wanted his fishmongers to treat the person like the customer was world famous, to give customers the level of attention that the paparazzi might give to someone like you, Tom Shea. Um, you know, that sense of, wow, a celebrity's in our presence, let's really give them our full undivided level of interest. 
And if we gave them that kind of interest, that the soup Nazi gave people on Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seinfeld. (laughs) So so the point of the matter is they want to have people to actually feel very important. And if they did, then they figured the brand would be viewed as important as well. And so that was their strategy. Starbucks is all about creating the home of, you know, kind of of creating this third place, this place where you want to go uh, that's not work, that's not home, it's that third place. Kind of in England, they had a third place over a different kind of addictive beverage. And it was that notion everybody knew your name, it felt familiar, it felt like the living room of the community. And so that was the goal. And, And that training goes on and on and on. And so a lot of secret shopper verifications of that, a lot of, a lot of customer focus groups, customer satisfaction survey data, all of which is trying to drive whether or not they're delivering against that emotional, emotional as well as operational outcome. All right. So let me ask this question then, Joseph. I, I, as I'm listening to the conversation, I'm thinking as myself as a business owner, and as I do so, you know, I think about this face-to-face type of interaction that would occur if I were a business like the fish market. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people I've recommended to a lot of folks, you know, neat neat video, good book about it. Uh, If you can't go to Seattle to look at the place. Starbucks, it's a face-to-face confrontation uh, confrontation opportunity to visit of which I'll ask you, is there a secret as to how they always memorize your drinks so well? No, I mean, really, first off, a secret always in a lot of these things is that there's a limited number of opportunities for them. Most of the time it's going to be around a certain pattern of drinks. Clearly you can do some really amazing one-offs. If you're a regular, it is, it's incumbent upon staff to be able to figure that out to create an uplifting moment. And now they're using names on cups and uh, soon you'll see names on all the baristas. That's a, that's a new iteration that's going to be coming out probably next year. Um, at the end of the day, I think their job is to familiarize themselves with their regulars. And that you see, there, some of them have spreadsheets, some of them just have notes. You know, Tom Shea comes in with his wife and they order blank and blank and they study that at home and they try to learn one new regular a day. I mean, that, to me they're just amazing the way, the way, the way they, they handle it. But let's, let's take the story over to another book that you wrote, Zappos. Because some of our listeners are people who run an internet-based business. I don't have you face-to-face. At, at best, I'm the person who wrote you an email, or I'm the person talking to you on the telephone, or on one of those uh, uh, chat pieces of software that you click on when I visit your website. Talk to us about taking the experience to an internet-based business compared to those we've talked about which have face-to-face interaction. Well, first off, Tony Shea believes that to tell it, Tony Shea runs, uh, he's the CEO of Zappos, and he would tell you right off that the phone is probably the greatest way right now, the, one of the most low-cost ways to have undivided attention between a service provider and a customer. You know, when I'm with you on the phone right now, Tom, I'm, there aren't a lot of other people you're interacting with but me, right? I mean, there's not somebody coming up to you on the side shoving this and asking how much does this cost. It's you and me only. And, 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 you know, and I think that's the key to this. We've somehow relegated call centers to this cost center mindset. Uh, and really and truly, Tony sees it as an extension of the marketing division of the brand. He figures that he can invest more in his call center then he doesn't have to do as much on his marketing budget. That the people on the call center, he actually calls them customer loyalty team members, 
the people on the call on the in the call center, their job is to build customer loyalty. So 75% of the customers who buy shoes or other merchandise from Zappos today have actually purchased there before, despite the fact that minimal advertising other than in the shoe bin of the airport. Of the airport. Uh, uh, and those are there, and those are there just in time, just in time, advertising, advertising, right your shoes. But, but bottom line is, his whole focus is making sure that he's really paid his call center staff well. He's trained them massively. They go through a month-long orientation training before they are actually let loose on the phones by themselves. And most of that month-long training is all about culture and creating personal emotional connections with customers. It's a crazy, crazy business he's running over there, and he's making crazy, crazy money at $1.2 billion sale to, uh, to Amazon.com about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. okay, now, so let me ask you this one. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I've got this story right, this one. So if not, well, we'll, we'll roll with it. When a person applies to Zappos and when they are hired and they're going through a training, do I remember correctly a little uh, unique sequence at some point where they basically try to bribe a person to quit working for them? <laughs> yeah, you totally remember it correctly. I don't think they would like to think of it as a bribe, Tom, but uh, if the shoe fits where it, I guess. Yeah, at the end of a month-long training, well, first off, let me kind of give you how they select, right? They're selecting for people who meet their values. How did they define their values? They're not just some platitudes that have been handed down from generation to generation in a business. Tony went to his people and he says, look, we want people who are going to be successful here. What does it take for someone to be successful here? What are the qualities and characteristics of people that make them awesome to work with us? And so he defined those. He called them from the staff. He came up with these values that don't sound like values you would typically see on a wall in a business. It doesn't, he doesn't have integrity, for example, because integrity is something that, you know, that Enron had on its wall. He has instead things like, you know, let's create fun and a little weirdness, right? Well, that's pretty different, but that's what it takes to be successful at Zappos. So they, they, bottom line, they have these values. They select people for them. You cannot even look for a job posting until you've read the values. And then there's this warning that says, are you sure you are all these things in a bag of chips? Because if you're not, don't deceive us. I mean, people go on American Idol not knowing they can't sing, and don't try to lie to us with that lack of self-awareness. So look again. And if you then click on it, you go to the page, you send in not only your resume, but you send in a video cover letter. Well, guess what? What are they looking for in the video cover letter? They're looking for whether or not you're a little weird, or if you're freaking weird, or if you're not weird, you're enough, not weird enough to probably, to fit, probably with fit with them. You get through all that. You get selected, let's say, and you go through this month-long training, and there is the moment of truth. You're done with a month-long training. You've run the gauntlet. You've heard about culture and values and values and personal emotional connections. And now they say to you, Tom Shea, you've been through this journey. Are you willing to take $4,000 and leave because this place does not fit you? Take the money. Run. We will not... We will not say anything prejudicial against you in future hiring. We personally won't hire you again. But other than that, you can go somewhere else. It's enough money to get you from this job to a job that will fit who you are better. We don't want you to be toxic to our culture. And that's really what it's about. It's a moment of truth. It is a rite of passage. If you pass it up, guess what you're saying? You're saying, I am committed to these values, and I will defend these values as I go forward. Huh. As you that 
items I w- I'll uh, throw into our listeners tonight is on the, our website, the Profits Plus website, is a, a job application that we created that is very different from those that you uh, traditionally would see. And it's definitely not the one you buy at the office supply house with a couple of holes at the top and you hand out in mass to people. But it is a an opportunity to have a person tell you about them and what they like about you and what they've done at their previous business and what they want to bring to the table and a lot of things like that. If you're using an old standardized job application, well, I doubt most of us listening aren't going to be able to pony up to make an offer of $4,000 to somebody. Don't don't hear $4,000 is all of Joseph's story. Hear the process as part of it. But if you need a piece of paper to start with, let me invite you to go to the Profits Plus website, pick it up, and if by chance you aren't able to quickly locate it, you know, you can always send me an email, tomshay at profitsplus.org, and I will gladly attach the PDF to it to get it to you. Okay, so Joseph? Well, I just yeah, I was I was agreeing with you at least that it wasn't the four thousand dollars is not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is take a stand for values and give people a chance to realize that they're signing on to something important uh, and they're going to be expected to live up to those. And there's going to be constant conversations about whether or not they're contributing and adding to the culture. And as um, as people come to your business. And are, are, are applying. If a person says, yes, "What his guy says tonight makes sense," you know, what, what would you tell him to start? What, what would you tell uh, him? As a, as a, yeah, I would start with saying, "Really, look at the. I call it the crud test. Okay, um, what is credible about your business? What is relevant about your business? What is unique, and what is durable? So that's the crud: the credible, the relevant, the unique, and the durable." And, and identify that and define your values against that. If you have existing values, refine them. Um, also define something I call a way we serve statement, which is tell your people exactly how you, you want your customers to feel. Um, at, at, you know, at the Pike Place Fish Markets, it's around making sure that your people know that they are to create an experience for customers where the customers feel famous. At the Ritz-Carlton, it's to create the home of a loving parent. Uh, at Zappos, it's to create wowful happiness for your customers. Um, at the Michelli experience, is to treat your customer as if they are a beloved boss who you want to feel relaxed, successful, and having some fun. So that's you know that's what we try to deliver in every interaction. So define the way you want your customer to serve. Be clear that your values are credible, relevant, unique, and durable. And then make sure you're selecting people consistent with those values and you're in constant conversation about how you roll here from the standpoint of both values and your emotional outcome you want to drive for customers. All right, then let me ask you this one. You're talking about establishing these points. Uh, I keep going back to your comments about Johnny in Seattle. Give me a little more on the... It starts with you because most of the people who are listening, you're an owner of a business. It, it falls on, on your shoulders. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the attitude, the thought process for, for the owner. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, let me go. I'm going to give you it through Tony Shea, really, because he's the one that blows my mind. Okay, this guy's a billionaire, all right? He's a billionaire with a big B, right? And he has as his corporate values to be humble. And so he sits in a cubicle in the open center of his building. 
There are no walls. It's not an open door policy. It's a no door policy. And you can walk up to Tony Shea, the CEO billionaire of his company, and he is humble. He is phenomenally humble. I've watched him. I've watched him greet people as they come into an event. His people. I've watched him, you know, send them off. He is part of the, the team. And I think that's where it starts. Really, if that's a value of yours, you better demonstrate it and you better live it. Um, and every every single leader who goes on has to go through that same month long training I just told you about. And they have to sit next to somebody whose first job is in a call center. I don't care if you're the CFO who they hired away from Amazon or if you're if you're just the new kid on the street, you're all going to go through that same process because that's what walking the talk of humility is all about. And, and I should point out at this point that you are hearing Joseph mention the the man from Zappos uh, because the, the similarity of names. He's not a relative because we spell our last names yes. very differently. Yeah, I, I don't know. You made him all he is today, Tom Shea. That's a different Shea. He starts with an H. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of difference in, in the spelling. And uh, yeah, isn't the long lost lost relative that I've missed in as far as looking for my uh, share of uh, whatever it was that great uncle somebody had uh, had left to us. All you right. Mean, so we get island in the Caribbean, huh? I'm <laughs> subtropics. It's as close as as far as my Sorry. money would take. I ran out of gas. Just remember who your friends are, buddy. He lives in a pretty swank neighborhood, you know. I I could be his pool boy, I think. <laughs> Come on, Michelle. Listen, I'm not. Well, all right, we, we're not going to get into the contest here. Okay, we we both <laughs> people. The essence of it of a Joseph is that we both attend the same church. That's right. That's right. The the pastor at at our church is uh, at Tommy's, and his comment to me one day was, well, "Did you know that we have another speaker who attends this church? Because you, Joseph, were at the church before I uh, attended there." And I says, "No." And he said, "Joseph Michelli goes here." And I made a comment to say, "The Joseph Michelli, the writer," and he says, "Yeah." Uh, and then a, a little later, it, it was in church one day, and I'm standing next to Joseph and his wife, Nora, and I'm repeating the story as to how it happened to Nora. And Nora's comment is, I think, fairly well short with a simple, I said, well, it's the Joseph Michelli. And she goes, there's no the about it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I'm really lucky if she calls me Joseph. You know what I mean? Yeah. So i Heard her call you anything else. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, we've got a couple minutes left. Joseph, what did, in the course of the evening, what did Bill and I not ask you that we should ask you? I, I think one of the realities that I would, I, I don't know if I can bring in, the, in a question, but I can tell you what answer I'd love to give to the mythical question, which is really what, what's my big view of, of uh, business. And I'll tell you, I am so excited about being in the, being world. In the world. I love yeah. the challenge of what we get to do every day. I love the fact that we have an opportunity to serve human beings. And if we serve them really well, we position the right products exactly the way they want it in an environment. If we can figure out that challenge and consistently deliver it, 
that we we have this chance to really be significant, not just successful. And then the more significant we are in the lives of people, the more successful we are. And I would just kind of link us back to the, the notion uh, you know, that great consultants have said for a long time, and that is we're not in business to make a profit. We're in business to make a customer. And if we can make a customer's day, we'll make plenty of profits in the end. Well, you're really talking about uh, the lifetime value of a customer concept. Totally, totally. And, and, and loving on your customers, really hoping that they'll grow and develop and we'll serve them well today and we'll have a chance to serve them into their future and future generations of their families. One other question I have, we don't have a second, I'll make it quick, but, you know, I mean, it said, you know, it said that really you can't ever really motivate anybody. Motivation has to come from within. But having said that, are there a couple little tips you can give, you know, small business owners, how they can at least create an environment that allows employees to get motivated and stay motivated? Yeah, I think, you know, I tend to believe that it's a lot like making a mouse, right? I mean, if you want to create motivated customers, you have to do what you do if you try to create a mouse. If I wanted to make a mouse, all I need to do is put a bunch of food stuff on my floor and a bunch of, you know, stuff that they can make a, a den out of. And I think the best we can do as leaders is create the environment where we create a motivated employee. And we also select and we demonstrate our passion for what we do so that they can be inspired. Because I do think people are looking for folks who have passion. Uh, they're looking to be led. They're looking to get excited and to feel like they matter. So that's the short answer uh, of motivating people, I think. All right. Well, I'll make my last, let's well, ask one quick question, Joseph. You mentioned working um, at Ritz-Carlton. When you did Starbucks, did you work behind the counter at all? I, I have. I, uh, I worked in their test counter in the, in the support center in Seattle. They wouldn't let me live on real customers. Oh, okay. So this is why you don't just go behind the counter and say, here, let me show you how to make my drink. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky to be able to, to use my Keurig machine at home, if you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, really. Say that uh, watching, I think it's, I've seen it happen twice that you went to the local Starbucks and there was a delay issue with them uh, getting your drink prepared for you correctly and in, in a timely manner and, and after you had left I, I i think i know everyone that works at the local one and i made a comment i says oh let me tell you who it was that you was your customer just there and all i get is oh crap now i'm going to be in a book <laughs> <laughs> i never write i never write about service failures you know there's plenty of people out there who who look at the negative my my job is to catch what people are doing right in the world and kind of playfully spark other people to do it for their own business so I don't, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who does the postmortem on why a business, you know, failed, why Circuit City didn't make it, right? Uh, I'm much more interested in telling a story about what great things happen at a Ritz Carlton or in Johnny's place or in any business that's really inspiring customers like Tony. Okay, well that's that's what I want to ask my friend Joseph Michelli tonight, uh, Mr. Bill. Well, I just wanted to thank you and Joseph for allowing me to be part of this conversation. And I wanted to uh, share uh, with everybody that we're scheduled to uh, have our next e re uh, Profits Plus e-retailer conference call on December 13th, correct, Tom? No, this is December 13th. January 14th. January 17th. Oh, God, I got it really wrong. I'm glad you're here to correct me. Anyway. January 17th. And uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think
We're talking We're about talking having about having a gentleman of Mark Calvert on as our guest speaker, and he is an expert in helping small business people tailor their social media communications efforts. He uh, is uh, real uh, educated and, and an expert at different software that will show retailers and, and small business people how to customize and easily change their applications on cell phones and computers. You're not going to want to miss this one. The guy's a really, really neat guy. And he's probably forgotten more about this technology than uh, I'll certainly ever know. So mark your calendars for that date. And Tom and, and I, Tom and I, we look forward to look forward to questions. We are just going to work hard to make everybody, and especially you all, helpful. Aha. And having said that, here's my favorite song. I sure like it. Well, I enjoyed being with everybody tonight. Dr. Joseph Michelli, thank you for being our guest. Everyone, Dr. Joseph Michelli, josephmichelli.com, spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I, Joseph Michelli, or just simply look up Starbucks Experience, Zappos Experience. Great books I heartily recommend. Just remember, go buy them at your local bookstore. Don't go looking for Amazon to get the books, okay? Take care of your fellow independents out there. Mr. Bill, thank you. Glad you were with us. Glad everybody joined us tonight. And if you are going to pass this on to a friend, it will be on the Profits Plus website a little later this evening. Just look for e-retailer conversations, and you can grab the recording there. 